Please allow me to introduce our opening speaker for this afternoon. Amber Athey, a senior Blankley Fellow with the Steamboat Institute, currently works as the Washington editor for Spectator USA, addressing issues such as abortion, COVID policy, and progressive sexual ideology. Her Unfit to Print podcast features weekly episodes that allow Athey to clarify and expand on current news. A proud Hoya, Athey graduated from Georgetown University in 2016. While at Georgetown, she held the chair of the Georgetown University College Republicans. She also wrote as a monthly contributor for the Woodsboro Times. After graduating, Athey functioned as investigative reporter for Campus Reform, and she appeared on Fox Business, NRA Today, EWTN Catholic Radio, and more. Athey accepted the position of media and breaking news reporter for The Daily Caller in 2017, later becoming The Daily Caller's White House correspondent in 2019. Athey has been cited by Fox News, CNN, The Washington Post, and The Atlantic, to name a few. Known for taking a fearlessly conservative stance on a variety of controversial issues, she is the perfect female role model for young college women. Please join me in extending a warm welcome to Amber Athey. Hi, everyone. So good to see you all here today. I am going to tell you guys how to stand up to the woke mob, which I've had more than a few run-ins with, unfortunately. Uh, but I want to start by telling you guys a story about how I actually got involved with the Claire Booth Luce Center for Conservative Women, because I think it's pretty informative uh, as to why I react the way I do when people try to cancel me, because they had my back way back when. And so I know it can be really hard when you're in college, and it seems like everyone around you is super liberal, and not just liberal, but hardcore progressive, right? Like they don't believe in basic principles of free speech or open dialogue. They just want to silence everybody that disagrees with them. And they end up lobbying a lot of personal insults to you. You feel like you are, are really isolated. And that can be really difficult. So I understand you know, why a lot of people choose not to stand up when they're faced with this backlash. Uh, because I've been there, and I know how hard it can be. Um, but Claire Booth Luce uh, Policy Institute, now Center for Conservative Women, apologies if I make that error a couple times, um, really helped me form a basis of, of how to be able to stand up for myself on campus and why it was so important to do so. So back when I was chair of College Republicans at Georgetown, my junior year, my friend Mallory approached me and she said, hey, I'm affiliated with this group, CBL, and we really want to bring Dr. Christina Hoff Summers to campus. And we think it'd be a great speech. She'll come talk about feminism and what's wrong with it, and we'll probably get a pretty good turnout. And she said, you know, CBL is going to organize everything, so don't worry about it. So I was like, all right, great. That's one less thing on my plate that I have to deal with as chair. Please, Mallory, like, take the reins. We'll do this thing. And as soon as we put the event up on our Facebook page, the outrage started. I mean, it was probably the worst backlash that I've received in my entire time at Georgetown. And I received a lot of backlash. So these leftists on campus went absolutely nuts. 
They started contacting the administration, claiming that I was creating an unsafe environment for other students. And I had to meet with our student advisor to talk about how to ensure the speaker safety and our safety during the event. We had to have plainclothes police officers there to make sure that people didn't interrupt the speech or try to harm anybody. And the social media backlash was probably the worst because I would say for probably two weeks straight, we were just getting a nonstop barrage of personal insults, people calling us racist, sexist, homophobic. I was personally called a misogynist, which I guess makes me a self-hating woman, right? <laughs> That's what they say about conservative women. They're like, oh, you're a traitor to your gender. It's such a weird argument, but um, that, that was what they said. And I, at first, I was, I was so annoyed. I was like, man, these people are awful. Like, let's just get this event over with. And a lot of people in our club were of the mindset, like, this is going to be our last <laughs> big controversial speech because it was so emotionally exhausting to have to constantly be battling these accusations. Um, but we ended up going through with the speech, and CBL was there. They recorded the whole thing. They got uh, amazing videos and photographs that are still all over the internet of these protesters standing in the back with signs that said anti-feminist and uh, rape culture apologist and all these other ridiculous things about Dr. Hoff Summers. And she was great too. She laughed about the whole thing. She thought it was hilarious. Uh, but the speech went off pretty much without a hitch besides the silent protesters in the back in the safe space that took place next door. But afterwards, CBL actually posted the video of the speech on their YouTube channel, and apparently Georgetown didn't like it very much that their students looked absolutely ridiculous trying to protest this very inane, normal event that just was celebrating free speech and open dialogue. So Georgetown actually reached out to me, and they were furious. They said, you did not get permission to post this video on YouTube, and this is a private university, and you need to take it down immediately or we will take action. And to be totally honest with you guys, I was freaking terrified. I thought, I'm going to get in trouble with the administration. I'm going to get kicked off campus. I'm not going to be able to graduate. I'm done. Like, this is it. Well, luckily, we forwarded the email to CBL, and they responded, and they said, don't worry, we're going to take care of it. Sure enough, they sent an email back to the university, and they said, well, would you like to talk to our lawyer about this? Because we'd be happy to talk to them about how you are restricting our free speech at a public event that the public was actually invited to, and anyone could have come and recorded just the same way we did. And Georgetown immediately backed down. The, uh, the student advisor emailed me back and said something along the lines of, um, well, I really wish you hadn't posted it, but it's fine, I guess. <laughs> so small victory, right? We were able to keep the video up. And I was stunned because here I was a day earlier thinking my college career was over. I'm never graduating. Everything is awful. And just with a little bit of pushback, the university immediately caved. So CBL really gave me that sort of that foundation of just a little, just standing up for yourself, even the tiniest bit can make a huge, huge difference. And it's really important to have allies in that fight because if one person standing up for themselves is powerful, then imagine multiple people, if not an entire group, right? So fast forward um, a couple of years and many cancellation attempts in between. <laughs> we'll just go to the, the latest one. Um, back in 
the summer of last year, I started working for a radio station called WMAL, and it's a local conservative station here in DC. It's basically like the preeminent conservative talk radio station in DC. And I was hosting a show part-time two days a week called O'Connor and Company with two other um, amazing women and Larry O'Connor. And I was doing that for about six months and the State of the Union rolled around. Now, I don't know if you guys remember this, you all seem like pretty well-dressed ladies, but Kamala Harris was wearing <laughs> probably like the most atrocious skirt suit that I've ever seen. Um, for those of you who didn't see it, it was this really dingy, like chocolate brown skirt suit, and she was literally blending in with the chair behind her. It was not a very flattering look. So me being the fashion critic that I am, not that I'm like on the cover of Vogue or anything, decided to just send out a funny tweet about her outfit. And uh, I was at trivia with friends when all of this went down, and at the time, my first instinct was to say that she looked like a poop emoji. And my friends advised me that that was probably not a good idea. So we actually pared the tweet down. And the joke that I ended up going with was, Kamala Harris looks like a UPS employee. What can Brown do for you? Nothing good, apparently. For those of you who aren't familiar, the old UPS slogan until I think the late 2000s was, what can Brown do for you? So it was a pretty obvious play on the UPS slogan, nothing too crazy. And everyone was fine with the tweet for at least a couple of days. I mean, it wasn't like my most viral tweet, but it was fine. And then a couple of days later, um, something else happened, completely unrelated to that tweet that led to my cancellation. So a couple of days after the State of the Union, there was a major protest at the University of North Texas. What happened was the young conservatives at UNT decided to bring a speaker by the name of Jeff Younger. And Jeff Younger is a dad in Texas who's currently running for Texas, uh, the Texas House. And he lost custody of his son because his ex-wife had convinced the son that the son was actually a daughter. The son's name was James Younger. And the ex-wife had gone to all of these therapists and psychologists and pediatricians, and eventually found one that was willing to say, actually, James is Luna, and Luna likes to wear dresses, and Luna is a girl. And Jeff Younger said, when I have custody of James, James never asks to wear girl clothing. He never says that he's a girl. He never asks to be called Luna. So I think that this is an attempt at brainwashing from my ex-wife. But the courts didn't buy it, and the courts ended up awarding full custody to his ex-wife because he would not agree to socially transition his child. So Jeff Younger goes to speak at UNT, and the trans lobby is furious. So they decide to go and protest the event, and I thought the protests that I got with Dr. Christina Hoff Summers were bad. These were some of the worst I've ever seen. The protesters in this case actually uh, threatened violence against Jeff Younger as well as the young woman who brought him to speak. They had to hide in a janitor's closet because the speech was interrupted by threats. The police were trying to usher them out and these um, trans activists were literally chasing them through the hallways of the university. Absolute madness. Eventually they were able to get off campus. Um, except the police car was surrounded by more activists. And eventually the police basically had to just start moving the vehicle, inching forward slowly, until they were able to push some of the activists out of the way. In the process of that, one of the activists like rolled their ankle because these people, let's be honest, are not very athletic. 
So the, the activists rolled their ankle and insisted that the cop car had hit them and that the, the police were mowing down activists and their, the fascist pigs were, were killing all of the trans activists. And that became, for the left-wing media, the dominant narrative of the speech. Not that the left-wing activists were threatening violence to try to shut down a speaker that they disagreed with, but that they had also tried to block a cop car, but somehow it was the police car's fault for trying to get those people to safety. So that was a... a uh, the impetus for an article that ran in the Rolling Stone, actually, by a guy named Stephen Monticelli, who's a freelance journalist. And Stephen Monticelli was boasting all over Twitter and in the replies of various conservatives talking about how the police had essentially killed a protester. I ended up responding to him and sh just with a video of what happened, right? Like, you can't dispute a video. They do dispute videos sometimes, but I sent the video. And his followers did not like that I was challenging his false version of events. So they decided that I needed to be silenced, canceled, whatever. They went back in my tweet history. And the first thing that they were able to latch onto was the Kamala tweet. And without the context of the State of the Union outfit, they insisted that the UPS joke and what can Brown do for you was about Kamala's skin color, not the outfit that she was wearing. They started sending emails to my employers. They were trashing me on social media. Every trick in the book that the left has to try to shut you up. And uh, I'm really grateful to work at The Spectator, which sees this kind of stuff and laughs. And uh, we actually trolled them a little bit on Twitter because one of the individuals who had emailed them claimed to be a subscriber and said they were canceling their subscription because I'm an awful racist. And we searched through our entire subscriber database database and found out that they were not actually a subscriber and were using a fake email. And so we just blasted them on social media and were like, look at these idiots who think they can, you know, shut down our reporters because they claim to be a subscriber and they're just total liars. Because ultimately the people who are trying to uh, go to woke corporations or go to uh, conservative outlets and claim to be uh, making a big splash when they are you know, boycotting these institutions usually don't actually uh, traffic them at all. And that was the case with the radio station. A bunch of random trans activists were emailing the corporate headquarters for WMAL, and they're owned by a company called Cumulus Media, and insisting that they were going to stop listening to the radio station that they didn't listen to in the first place because, again, I was an awful racist. And unfortunately, when you have conservative media that is owned by these large corporations that don't understand why we say the things that we say, why we believe the things that we believe, and don't also believe them, they're really quick to give into the mob. So a week after they started sending these emails, I received a phone call from corporate. Uh, it was a woman from Human Resources and a guy from uh, the local executive board of the radio company. And they told me that I was going to be terminated effective immediately because I had violated the social media policy with my racist tweet about Kamala Harris. And I tried to challenge them. I asked them, you know, do you realize that this was about Kamala Harris's outfit? It wasn't about her skin color. And it sounded like they were reading from an HR script. They didn't give me a chance to defend myself, really. They just said, sorry. You're not getting anything from us. That's it. You're out. And you know, don't let the door hit you on the way out. And at first, I was really upset because I really loved doing the radio show. I loved my co-host. Um, I really liked the opportunity to speak directly to people in the DC area. And so it was really sad to lose that. But 
over the next month, as we tried various tactics of trying to get me back on the air from other hosts at the station trying to appeal directly to corporate. I believe there were emails sent to the CEO. There were meetings with the local executives, and nothing seemed to be working. They weren't budging. And ultimately, I, I thought back to the various times that people had tried to cancel me and what worked and what didn't work. And I remembered CBL standing up and refusing to be kowtowed. I remembered um, a previous cancellation attempt where I had apologized, and it only seemed to infuriate the mob even more. So I decided that I was going to go public with what happened to me. I was going to be unapologetic, and I was going to put these people on blast. So a month after I was fired, I launched an all-out assault. Um, I contacted everybody I knew in the news media that I was going to have an article coming out in The Spectator about why I was no longer with WMAL. I published the article and it immediately took off. It was covered by the New York Post, Daily Mail, um, Daily Wire, Daily Caller, pretty much any right of center outlet you could think of, as well as CBS's Inside Edition. It went absolutely nuts because everybody could see how ridiculous their logic was and their reasoning for me being a racist and for me being fired. And after the article went bonkers, I ended up getting a bunch of media hits out of it. I was on Tucker Carlson. I was on, again, I mentioned CBS's Inside Edition. I did pretty much every like right of center show you can think of. I think I did 60 interviews in the course of six days. Um, so it was pretty exhausting, but it was really cool because I got all of this attention on my story. And every person who watched me on one of these media hits heard me tell them to go to cumulusmedia.com and email this email address and tell them exactly what you think about what happened. Because if the left is going to util utilize this mob-like, um, boycott-esque behavior, it's proven to be effective. Clearly, the corporations listen to three or four emails that come in from the left. Why not show them how powerful conservatives can be when we feel that we've faced an injustice? And in the end, I suspect that Cumulus probably received about 30 to 40 times more emails about how wrong they were to fire me than they ever did about me being a so-called racist. And I think there's a good lesson in that because Cumulus Media is going to think twice and maybe three times the next time something like this comes up and they're thinking about firing somebody for saying something totally innocuous, right? They're going to remember back to the time when it ended up being more difficult to fire me than it would have been for them to just tell the woke mob to buzz off. A few lessons that I learned as well, I think it's important to just never apologize to the mob because the mob doesn't believe in apologies and they don't believe in forgiveness, right? When you apologize to the mob, what you're telling them is that their behavior was effective you are incentivizing them to continue these harassment, cam harassment campaigns against other individuals. Because the apology says, I hear you, I agree, and I'm sorry. No. We're not sorry, are we? No. Why should you be sorry for saying something conservative, saying something that they disagree with? That's part of life, is that people disagree. You shouldn't be sorry for that. Now, if you make a genuine mistake, that's a different thing. But if they're just coming after you because you said, uh, yeah, biological men shouldn't be allowed to play in women's sports, then don't apologize to them. You don't owe them an apology. You don't owe anybody an apology for having your own beliefs. 
And even worse, when you apologize, the mob's not satisfied. They want more. The whole point of progressivism is not to get what they want and then be happy. They get what they want and then they want to go 10 steps further. So if you apologize and give in or stop talking or do whatever it is they want you to do by going after you, then you are again telling them, all right, now you can move on to the next one and you can go do the same thing to somebody else. So you're paving the way for them to do this to your friends, your family members, your community, every time that you apologize. I also think it's important to find a group of allies and community members who are willing to stand up for you as well. Because again, it can be scary to do it by yourself. And there have been times where people tried to cancel me and nobody stood up for me and I was left by myself and it was an awful feeling. But when the WMAL situation happened, it seemed like the entire conservative community was on my side. And all of a sudden, I became way more powerful than anyone on the left-wing mob. And so for you guys, maybe your community and your allies are your fellow CBL uh, women. Maybe it's other conservatives on your college campus. Maybe it's your friends. But always find a way to band together and support each other because there is absolutely strength in numbers. Ultimately, the left-wing people on your campus who are coming after you are a small vocal minority, right? It's usually only like 15 to 20 people and I'm pretty sure that most of your college Republicans clubs have more people in it than that. And if not, there's probably enough conservatives who aren't affiliated with a club to form a coalition that is able to fight back so much stronger than the left mob might do. It's also important in these times when people try to cancel you to be able to find comfort in your family and friends. Because in those moments where you are left alone and you feel like you're the only one standing up for yourself, then you have to be able to have that support system just to remind you who you are. When someone is telling you all day, you're a racist, you're a homophobe, you're sexist, what have you, no matter how strong of a person you are, that can start to get in your head and it can start to affect your mental state, right? It can be very isolating, very difficult. So always make sure that you have people in your corner and relationships that you depend on that can remind you of your sense of self, of the things that you really are and remind you that whatever they're saying about you doesn't matter because those people, they're gonna hate you no matter what you say because you're a conservative, that's just how they are. But there are tons of people who are gonna remind you that you're loved and that you're valued and that you're cherished. So make sure that you lean on those people in those hard times when people come after you. The biggest thing that you have to remember is that we have to fight back because if we heal over and sit down every time the left tries to challenge us, there will be no conservative activists left because they will challenge you on anything and everything and they will keep going until all of us shut up. That's the left's playbook. It can be really hard to be that first person to stand up, but I absolutely promise you if you defend yourself and you stand up for yourself, not only will you get a bunch of people reaching out to you privately telling you that they're proud of you and they believe in what you're doing and they support you, but you're also going to see other young women follow in your footsteps because they are going to be inspired by you. You can be a real leader and pave the way for your fellow future activists if you refuse to be silenced in the face of people who want nothing better than to be able to have a free forum for them to espouse their ideas and implement their policies without any pushback. 
So please, please, please fight back. I believe in you guys. I know that you can do it. The fact that you're here today tells me that you are all strong enough to handle anything the left is going to throw at you. So just stand strong. Know that I'm in your corner. All of these ladies are in your corner. This entire organization is in your corner. And with all of our help, we are absolutely going to take the country back. We're going to champion conservative values. We're going to say that women are women and we are special and we are strong and we are absolutely going to win. So thank you guys. I think I have time for like two questions. Yeah, um, well, part of it is definitely calling your congressperson because um, a lot of you guys are interns right now for congresspeople, and you know, I was an intern at 1.2 for um, a representative from North Carolina, and they take constituent phone calls very seriously because a lot of the lesser-known members don't receive that many phone calls, so they'll get two or three calls, and they'll start freaking out, like, oh, my God, what are we going to do? Like, it's a revolt in the office. So if you can rally your friends to call those people who are caving in, um, that can be really powerful. And then outside of that, I would say try your best to work for members that you really align with politically because they need really good staff. And a lot, there's a lot of people on Capitol Hill who I think are doing really great work and it's not seen by as many people as it should be because maybe they don't have as talented of staff or they just haven't gotten the PR that they deserve. Um, so definitely make sure that your talents are being lent to people who really champion your values and who you really align with because it can be really hard to be in an office where you're you know, a lower level staff member trying to butt heads with your congressperson. That usually doesn't end well. Um, so I think it's part of it is just helping that and then also working for campaigns of good people too. I mean, I'm, I'm a huge fan of primary challenges of like squishy Republicans. So if you would like to go work for, you know, help somebody get elected who is more on your side, that can be really helpful too. So, okay, uh, quick question for you. Number one, um, just I wanted to commend you for the amount of strength that you had during all of those uh, during all of these issues, there's like a list of them. Um, yeah, I only mentioned two as well. Okay. <laughs> there's so many more. <laughs> how did you? No, just kidding. So to follow up with that, how did you find the strength to get through all of this? It sounds like you were supported by uh, a bunch of really great people, but just. Yeah, like on a base level, I would say my my family definitely was a big influence in me being able to stand up for myself. Um, my dad was an absolute gem when I was a little girl. I was such a daddy's girl. And he would always tell me when I went off to school, he was like, look, if somebody bullies you, all you have to do is just pop them in the face and they'll never bother you again. Now, I'm not endorsing that, but I'm just saying, like, there's something to be said for if you are just like rolling over every time somebody tries to attack you, then they view you as weak and they will just take advantage. So I think it's important to show people like, hey, I'm not messing around. No matter what you say to me, none of it's gonna get to me because I know who I am. And then the other part of that is developing a strong sense of self, like knowing who you are and feeling really confident in yourself and having that like high self-esteem 
which I'm sure all of you do because I can see like just from you guys being here, you're you're really confident in yourself and your beliefs. And so that can go a long way too, is just knowing that you are on the side of truth, on the side of being right, that can uh, give you strength as well. All right, I think that's probably it. So thank you guys so much. I appreciate you having me.